The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? And welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic and an alpha plus at that. Act your level, dude. <laughs> All right, I'm an epsilon. <laughs> I've been masquerading this whole time. Uh, here at Cancel Too Soon, we review... Short-lived TV series, and this is the end of a series in which we were focusing on some of the bigger uh, TV shows that lasted only one season. This last season, we talked about shows like High Fidelity, talked mm-hmm. about shows like Utopia, and Hellstrom, and now it is finally time... Luca, you okay, buddy? <laughs> Luca's a little rambunctious tonight. But now it is time... Oh, yeah. That's, you okay? You good? Okay. He's a cat. <laughs> Let's talk about Brave New World. Welcome to New London. You are an essential part of a perfect social body. Everybody in their place. Everybody happy now. Everyone belongs to everyone else. There's no pain there, John. No fear. I want that for you. A virus enters a cell. That's how it begins. You know, I've been watching you people. You gotta ask yourself. That this place is so perfect. Why is it upside down? We're at the beginning of something. Something necessary. This is on Peacock. Yeah. Uh, that that thing. The other Quibi. <laughs> <laughs> the streaming uh, service that's technically there, but you don't really see people talking about it very much. It, every uh, every studio when they saw what Netflix was doing and how uh, Disney was, you know, spending literally tens of billions of dollars to compete decided, Hey, why don't we get in on that game? So yeah. a lot of high profile streaming services launched all at once. We had Apple TV plus we had a uh, Facebook watch, which is probably the, the most popular. Oh yeah. Everyone, yeah. everyone was talking but, about U- it. Universal launched uh, Peacock uh, Warner brothers kind of relaunched HBO as HBO max Mm-hmm. Well, uh, they got they got rid of Filmstruck, and yeah. they decided to instead of doing like Warner Brothers Plus, they realized that a lot of people were already watching HBO, mm-hmm. either HBO Go or HBO Now, and they were like, let's just instead of pretending, let's just take the HBO brand, its home box office, and we'll just yeah. Build so no, it's HBO it, Max. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. I miss a lot of the Filmstruck yeah. stuff, but and and of course, uh, Katzenberg launched Quibi, which uh, has already crashed and burned, and we talked extensively about Quibi, but it's coming back. Sort of. Sort of. Quib- all the, of the, content, the shows are coming. The shows are coming back. Everything that was on Quibi, because Quibi was for phones only. Mm-hmm. That was their selling point. And uh, once it shut down, all of that content kind of went away, and nobody knew what was going to happen to it. And luckily, of all things, Roku picked it all up. 
So Roku is going to be showing Quibi. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. Oh, uh, brave new world that has such streaming services in it. <laughs> but we're going to be talking about Peacock, which is the uh, NBC slash Universal streaming service. They launched. Uh, they were free. That was yeah. their selling point. And well, they, they were, there was there. Some of it was behind a paywall, mm. but the majority was free. And the initial offering, I was actually pretty impressed by. They had a lot mm. of good older shows and a lot, a lot of, of Universal's old, classic library, yeah, including like uh, Hitchcock movies mm-hmm. and Universal monster films. Yeah. Like that, a really good selection of film. Yeah, those are gone now. Yeah, they took them all down. They took the classic movies away. I understand if maybe if people aren't watching them as much, you don't highlight them as much. But why take them down? What do you what it what what's in it for you mm. that you just like well we're well, we're gonna stop making like physical media and you, then you're just gonna take the movies away when we know you have them mm. what's the matter uh, with you but it, when when all of these uh, all of these new platforms launch they tend to launch with a, a slew of new programming as well to yeah. to lure you in and one of the bigger high profile big budget shows on Peacock was this one, Brave New World, yeah. uh, based on the novel by Aldous Huxley, which you probably read in high school. Mm-hmm. It's a sequel uh, to uh, Terrence Malick's mm. uh, The New World. That's right. Yeah, it takes place afterwards. Mm. Deny it. Okay. It takes place afterwards. <laughs> it does. Oh, you Philistine. What? It does. <laughs> okay, fair. You're right. It does. <laughs> Done. Uh <laughs> Jackass. The um, new world takes place in like the colonial era. Hmm. When and Brave America New World takes being... place in the future. Yeah. Uh, Brave New World was written in the early 30s uh, by a British author who was uh, being very critical of a lot of um, changes in society at the time. And it's considered one of the greatest of all dystopian novels. Written by Aldous Huxley. Yeah. Have you read the book? I have indeed. I have Twice. not. <laughs> I have not actually. This this one, for whatever uh, reason, this is a book that like a lot of people had it on their required reading lists. Hmm. And at some point, every English teacher I ever had says, eh. And just, they didn't bother putting it on the reading list. And oh, I never got around to it. So I've heard a lot about this one and mm. just in terms of like generalities. Mm. Uh, I haven't seen the other adaptations. There have been some movies mm. uh, based I'm, on this before. Yeah. But I've never actually read it. And so watching the series was kind of weird because I wasn't sure how much of it is from the book and how much of it is new. I can guess a few of the things involving more mm. contemporary tech. Like yeah. like online experiences or whatever that's mm. probably new, but like well, I, uh, I was I'm really going to rely on you a lot of this okay. one to talk about the differences between the original and now. All right, um, yeah, this uh, it's, it's based on the novel by Aldous Huxley, and the, no- the novel and this show both take place in the future. The novel takes place in I think like 674 AF, mm. which stands for After Ford. Henry Ford is sort of like the new savior of this it world because Henry Ford was uh, the father of industrialization, right? And so this yeah. is. Uh, industrialization taken to a human extreme. That is, in in the future, uh, human beings are all grown. Nobody is, nobody is born conventionally any longer. They're all grown in labs. Everybody's born kind of sterile. Uh, and nobody has any kind of family units. You don't have mothers or fathers. There's no attachments to other human beings. And indeed, you're... Uh, encouraged to uh in this world be as promiscuous as possible mm. if if you have sex with somebody too much that like the the higher ups actually bring you into the office for questioning saying that's not quite what the society is all about yeah you're not supposed to have sex with the mm. same person all the time you're supposed yeah. to have sex with lots of people and lots of people are supposed yeah. to have sex with and them the, and the uh, the whole idea is everybody's happy in the world everything's clean everybody's uh feelings are kept in check with a drug called soma uh and there's like different colors of soma 
for different uh, levels of anxiety. For, yeah, or exactly. Pain, and, yeah. and the idea is everybody's just sort of laid back and everybody's kind of this uh, just a casual hedonist now. There's not a lot. There's no art. There's no intellectualism. There's just being on drugs and having orgies and going to the feelies, which were a big thing in the book. Yeah. Uh, which were movies, but you feel physical sensations when you go to them. Yeah. It's not about like living out someone else's life. It's about actually feeling something which Selma usually doesn't let you do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so. And, uh. Yeah. Uh, outside of this uh, this bubble are what they call the Savage Lands, and that's where people live without all of this technology. Yeah. Uh, and the story of the novel is what happens when somebody from in the, the big city goes to the Savage Lands and brings a savage back, and how the savage would react. And this, so it's Crocodile Dundee, but in the future. Uh, yes, but far more depressing. Uh, it's, it's actually a very sad so story. So it's Crocodile Dundee Part 2 in the future. <laughs> because Crocodile <laughs> Dundee Part 2 is... Such a harrowing tragedy. I vaguely remember it. Someone that, that gets was, kidnapped. That was the one with the the drug dealer. Yeah, yeah. Someone gets and kidnapped. Linda Kozlowski gets kidnapped, yeah. and and she's such a badass. She just doesn't care. Yeah, it's pretty I, cool. She should have had such a bigger career, Linda Kozlowski, from those Crocodile Dundee movies. I, I actually apologize for speaking mm-hmm. ill Crocodile Dundee part two. You ever see how much money those movies made? It's insanity. Holy like shit! Like adjusted for income, it's like a billion dollars each. Those, those, those things movies, were juggernauts. Those movies were huge. Yeah, yeah. And they're not comp. The first one's fine. It's cute. The second one's film. fine too. I, I, I've, I've revisited it since it came out. Yeah, I think the last time I saw them, I was like maybe twelve. But uh, yeah, the first, I, I loved the first them when I was a kid. Good. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, anyway Brave New World. So, like, so, world. so, so now there's uh, an outsider in uh, this in this perfect world in this perfectly structured and, uh, world, in, and they're gonna notice all of the flaws and mm-hmm. point out that hey, isn't this like? That that bit in the time machine, except there's a lot of Eloy and the Morlocks haven't eaten them all yet, <laughs> because that's the well, that's the, uh, the vibe I got. The idea in the book, though, is that this savage is trying to uh, teach people something a little bit more uh, recognizably contemporary. Things about having attachments and falling in love and making art and being passionate and... Uh, the world just sort of rejects all of that, and that kind of erodes his soul, and it ends badly. Okay, uh, so that's more of like a uh, to, to you, obviously yeah. something that was inspired yeah. by it or influenced by it at some level. That's more of a man who fell to earth kind of story. yeah, a, a, l- yeah. a little. But he's not yeah. he's not the one who's corrupted. He's just depressed and dis- dismayed by the the way the world doesn't react that's to him. Level of um, degrees, I think. Okay. This is a, a very for a little bit anyway. It's a good contemporary up. Update of Brave New World. I think uh, the aesthetics-free universe they create, where everything's just sort of these gleaming offices, everybody's wearing kind of boring clothing, mm-hmm. and how uh, now everything and they throw in a lot of nudity. Mm. This is just on a streaming service. The first few episodes are free, and there's naked people everywhere in this thing. Yeah, this nudity this... used to be hard to get a hold of. <laughs> That's true. I will say this um, I, again. I don't again. I haven't read the book mm. as established, so I cannot compare. This TV series, Brave New World, to the original book, Game of World, uh, Brave New World. But game, I can, game, I can't. Game of World. You know what? To, that ruined my joke. But I can't compare it to Game of Thrones. Okay. And it's abundantly clear mm. that what they're doing here is chasing the popularity of Game of Thrones by doing this giant maxi series, mm. doing this uh, epic version of a acclaimed sci-fi fantasy property, and adding a ton of sex. Just yeah. nudity, sexuality. Yeah. I've lost to, uh, count of how many orgies were in this show. It's a lot. It's a lot. And to, to be camera. fair, to be fair, it's built. It's baked into the book as well. There's, sure. there's a lot of, of sex in the book. It's, but they choose but how much yeah, they're going to put on exactly. there. And it's obvious that one of the appeals they thought would be of the series would be that it would titillate. Yeah. 
Uh, the main character in this series is uh, shifted a little bit from the book. Uh, a character named Lenina Crown from the book is now given a much more central role in this movie mm. and this TV series. Uh, she's played by an actress named Jessica Brown Findlay, who is not, as I assumed, Michelle Ryan from the Bionic Woman from 2007. And she is not, as I assumed, mm. Elizabeth Henstridge from Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> she's actually Jessica Brown Findlay. She's Jessica Brown Findlay. And fr- who you may uh, recall uh, from uh, uh, Winter's Tale. Oh, I didn't see the, the film you version didn't of see Winter's that? Tale. No, that I heard it was really bonkers. Yeah. Fucking, you have never lived until you've seen Russell Crowe headbutt Colin Farrell like 20 times until <laughs> he gets amnesia. Like you've just, hmm. you just, or when you've seen like a Pegasus ground pound, like radial attack oh video God. game style, a bunch of like 1930s type gangsters until they turn into snowmen. Like... <laughs> It's a weird oh fucking God, yeah. movie, and I hope I've everyone only, sees I've it. I know the book. The stories. I know the book is kind of beloved. The movie turned into just bonkers silliness, <laughs> and I kind of love it, but it's not good. It's not her fault. Uh, it's not her fault, though. But yeah, she plays Lenina Crown. Uh, Lenina Crown is a beta plus. I didn't mention that uh, there's a cast system in yeah, the future. Very important. That when when you are being genetically engineered as an embryo, you're your uh, path is chosen for you. You're yeah. an alpha down to an epsilon. Epsilons are like janitors. Uh, they do the work nobody wants to do. Yeah, and alpha pluses are like the executives, and Mm -hmm. and that's just what you mark... That's what you're marked as before you're born. Yeah, and there's like hatcheries where the kids are yeah. raised by just a, it goes, a cadre of it goes uh, alpha, instructors. It goes alpha and alpha is like they just run mm-hmm. everything and they live charmed lives and they're better than everybody and they can tell anybody else what to do. There's betas who can tell like the other classes what to do but are still like the playthings of alphas and they're mostly there to do like upper level like work in businesses mm-hmm. and also to be like sexual conquests. Yeah. Then there's gammas who are basically just like butlers. Yeah. Like they're, they're they have a bit more to do. They get to like inv- involve in polite society, but most people don't know mm-hmm. their names. And think, then there are epsilons. I don't think there's are, deltas, but there are epsilons. Yeah. And then there's, and then there's epsilons, which are way down at the bottom level. Yeah. And, uh, the other main characters we have uh, Bernard Marx. He's the Alpha Plus. Who's uh, in the book? He's like a little bit of an outsider. He's really grumpy. He doesn't even fit in with the Alpha Pluses, but he has that rank, as it were. They keep mentioning in the show that is he really an Alpha Plus, and mm. they never explain what that means. Just he doesn't act like an Alpha Plus, and he seems a little bit more uh, uh, susceptible to uh, outsider influences. Okay, he lacks um, confidence. He, yeah, he, yeah, he's played by an actor named, uh, let me look it up, is Harry Lloyd, and he is great. He's my favorite actor on the show. He gets the most interesting, I actually have real issues mm. with the way that the character of Bernard Marks is portrayed over the show, mm. in terms of levels of sort of consistency and where it feels like, the showrunners don't know how sympathetic they want him to be or, or well, whether, I, how villainous he's expected to go. And sometimes that's interesting and sometimes it feels like they just don't know what they're doing with the character. Uh, I, I think uh, I, I thought it was a really good uh, – he played the part really well in that he was really intrigued by a lot of these outsider ideas, but he never fully bought it. Mm. He was still a victim of his own conditioning. So, uh, and I think he he played that balance really, really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few other characters. Uh, Kylie Bunbury from Pitch. Yeah, uh, she's is, great. Is in this. She plays... Um, Lenina's roommate. R- room, roommate slash girlfriend. Like, a, they, they have an affair, but it's not... 
like if not on camera, it's just applied that they they were lovers at one point. Uh, no, they, they're um, well, they're everyone's lovers with everyone well, all yeah, the time, I guess so. so they're just really casual <laughs> about it. Um, you've got uh, Hannah John Kamen, who you may remember from Ant Man and the Wasp as the mm. supervillain the Ghost. Um, nice. She plays uh, uh, Wilhelmina or Helm Watson, who directs the best feelies. Mm. Uh, around, um, I actually like the her, character a lot. Her, her character's expanded from the book. Um, yeah, and uh, there's also a uh, there's a, the woman who runs everything, uh, Mustafa Mond, played by Nina Sosanya. Uh, and um, at first, she just seems like she's like president, mm-hmm. and then you gradually come to realize that she's running things way more than you would expect her to. Um, and then over in the Savage Lands, we run into. John, John the Savage. He's played by Alden Ehrenreich. Yay! Very, very good actor, Alden Ehrenreich. Uh, Alden Ehrenreich, who seemed like a big star on the rise with films like Beautiful Creatures, didn't make money, but he was mm-hmm. graded and people noticed, uh, and then had a really awesome breakout role in uh, Hail Caesar yeah. as a sort of a, a cowboy actor in the 1930s who is not a good actor but is a really nice guy and i just every single scene he's in in that movie is magic mm. the, uh, the, the wood that it were so simple oh scene is hilarious one of the funniest scenes of the last decade easily <laughs> um and uh, he got a big break uh to play a uh, young han solo in solo a star wars story and i think he's just fine in that movie i think he's really good in that movie he's fine the film is rotten but he's yeah, fine the film doesn't uh, really work there's stuff in it that's better than others and maybe you can get through it but he's doing a good job he's not harrison ford but, uh, but no one is except harrison ford so i'm not going to complain about that but that movie was kind of a disappointment to a lot of people and they didn't greenlight a sequel like they planned and so it seems like are we is hollywood done with alden Ehrenreich? And this was like his big like return like an, high profile break, project, yeah, and, and then it got canceled. And and the big star that they got for this show, who left after only a few episodes, was Demi Moore, yeah, who plays uh, John's mother. Yeah, and uh, yeah, this is very very common for television where you get like a really huge star, but you can only get them for a few episodes or a season. Hmm. Like uh, Westworld, they couldn't keep Anthony Hopkins on that show. <laughs> they were able to get him for a couple of weeks to shoot all his scenes for the whole season, and hmm. then he was gone. He was not going to commit to that, even if you wanted him to. Yeah, yeah. So that, Demi Moore, who is not, you know, she's recognizable. She doesn't, she doesn't really star as many things as she used to, and that's a shame because I was reminded watching the show, she's really good. Oh, she's a, she's quite a good actor. Yeah, she doesn't uh, get enough credit for it. She's a really good actor. It's but been a, it's it, been a while uh, since I've seen her in anything prominent, so it's easy to forget for a minute. But she's mm-hmm. great. But in the universe of, of Brave New World, uh, savages, as they're called, are just people who don't live in the city. They're not conditioned. They're not grown. They're born naturally. Mm-hmm. They're not on Soma all the time. They have this weird booze thing. Yeah. It's like liquid Soma. Uh, and in although uh, in the book, the savages are things that like the city dwellers go to sort of gawk at and kind of recoil from to be entertained by in the TV series, their lives are turned into a full blown Disney like amusement park. Yeah. It's also very telling that uh, the city is in London and the savage land is in America and all the savages are Americans. Yeah. You had to pop like Mm -hmm. a 12 minute rocket ship flight to get to the savage land. The savage land is what's funny about the savage land is that it's not like a bunch of like people from new London who are pretending and faking it and getting it all wrong. Uh, it's the only way for people who don't live in Louis London to make money. 
yeah. to actually like make a living is to put on shows for these shitty colonialists. And uh, so Alden Ehrenreich actually has a job putting on a show and it's part of like the universal tour mm. of the Savage Lands where they'll drive you through, ah, oh, yes, and here's their weird, creepy home life where they only live with one other person and, oh, that person's pregnant. Isn't that weird? That's going to claw its way out of her stomach like some kind of weird, weird. And, <laughs> and oh, look, this how exciting. We get to be here for one of their... One of their ancient marriage rituals, and they put on this really fake-looking show mm. about like how like a, a shotgun wedding is interrupted by a jealous lover, and the guy, yeah. and you can tell that the guy who's been doing the same speech over and over again is just milking it, mm. and he's just like this really hammy, like you know, community theater guy. He's probably mm. the best guy in his community theater, but he's not good, like that kind of thing. All of that level of detail was actually kind of fun, and it was really interesting to see that like all of these characters who come from this sort of quote unquote, perfect cast system, everything rigid. We don't have to think or question anything world to go to a world that we kind of recognize, or at least recognize if you're like, if, if like you live in the city of orange and like, you have to like, <laughs> you're either working at Disneyland or somehow your money comes from mm -hmm. people who go to Disneyland because you're in the area. Like I was actually able to like sort of connect to that. I'm just seeing people like, like, oh, yes, we're in this hotel room, and oh, yes, there, there are people who are saving their virginity. And I don't know what that means, but let's do it while we have sex. And it's like, okay, it's, all of this is mildly amusing. Yeah, the, the, the scene where the, the two new Londoners, like, kind of fetishize, like, pretend like we're the only ones for each other, and we're going to be married. Oh, how kinky! And they, they have yeah. sex on the floor. Um while they are, uh, while Lenina and and uh, Bernard are touring the Savage Lands, mm -hmm. because she's been showing t a tendency to sleep with one person too much, mm -hmm. and he wants to take her there, and they kind of have this well, kind he, of obligatory romance. Well, he's he's unsettled and starting to question things because he saw a, an epsilon. Oh, right. That uh, threw himself o over a balcony and killed himself. Mm. And everyone's very and nobody eager. understands that. Everyone's very eager to assume. Oh, he fell. Hmm. Uh, it can happen. That's that's unfortunate. And there you go. And then, but he actually like puts some real basic like physics together mm. and realizes that if he fell, there's no way he would have been as far away from the building. He could only have made like a running jump. Yeah. So he's starting to think that shouldn't be possible. Because our system is perfect, mm -hmm. and now I don't know anything anymore. And so he's having a crisis of confidence, and he starts hanging out with this person who also is starting to test the boundaries. And maybe it's just kink. Maybe this is like teen rebellion kind of thing, but then we'll all just settle down afterwards. But right in the midst of that, there's a coup. There's a coup, which that doesn't happen in the book. Oh, yeah? That They just find John, they bring him back, they find, and John's mother as well, and she has been waiting there, because it turns out she was an old beta who uh, was abandoned there. Yeah. Uh, it's illegal to be monogamous, it's also illegal to get pregnant, mm -hmm. and she did. And yeah. her lover... Uh, brought her to the Savage Lands and left her there, and she was unable to get back. Mm. Uh, so, so she's, she's been, been raising her son there mm. ever since, and he doesn't believe her. He thinks she's just—it's like it's like the it's like the plot from Joker, where <laughs> it's like, oh, you know, your dad's totally Bruce Wayne. I'm like, yeah. sure, mom. 
In in the book, uh, the the Demi Moore character is actually like far crazier. Like she's just slovenly and drunk all the time, and mm. just, like they describe her in these really uh, ugly terms. In this one, she, she looks like Demi Moore. You know, yeah. she, she's she's an alcoholic, but she's actually like alert and has a lot of wherewithal and strength and character. Well, at first you think to yourself, "Oh, they're doing this whole like." Mm quote-unquote fallen woman routine. Mm. And then what I actually really liked was that they justified that by just saying she's been coming down off Soma her whole life. Yeah. She was raised on this drug and she's been going through withdrawals this entire time and that will mess you up. Mm. And I thought that was actually like, that's kind of cool. And I liked how when there, so there's this whole bit where a lot of the people who live in the Savage Lands have decided they're sick and tired of these fucking new Londoners mm. like treating our lives like a fucking tourist attraction and looking down on us. And so what they do is they go to one of these um, live shows, like the stunt show at Universal Studios. And it's supposed to be everyone shoots blanks at each other and they all die. <laughs> and they rep- and uh, they replace all the bullets with real bullets. And then they start shooting all the new Londoners. Mm. And then the only two who survive are our heroes, Mm. Uh, Bernard right. and Lenina, and uh, they—it's John who ends up rescuing them. And when one of them is shot, it turns out to me more because she was a beta. Actually, knows something about medicine and is able to save their lives. So they go on the run. There's this huge action bit, and then it turns out there's this like magic portal that there's, you can only like walk a, through. A if shields you're... that yeah is like genetically coded that keeps the savages in. Yeah, you can only you can so only the... walk through it if you're like magically born and their yeah, magic magic that is really vague and it's so the whole uprising is not part of the book as i recall nor was that shield like well, the, the shield... savages were just people who lived outside new london it was much more like class oriented rather yeah. than this weird sort of science fiction conceit well the thing that that the whole shield thing seems to do is very it's very plot centric mm. doesn't actually make sense within the context of the world the sci-fi is kind of beyond everything else that we've seen even though there's a lot of high-tech material um but it serves the function of basically the uh the the rebels from the savage lands cannot follow them any further yeah. so they're safe okay and the, and only, the, the only people that can uh, pass through are the people who have been genetically coded. The people who are supposed to be living in mm. New London. Mm. So when Demi Moore can walk through, Olden Ehrenreich realizes my mom was telling the truth all along. And when Olden Ehrenreich can walk through, even though he was born naturally, mm. people realize, oh, shit. He's, he actually has genes. So Yeah, yeah and, and also that shouldn't work that way. Like, it's we're, we're supposed to only believe in, like, science birds mm. so if an, a natural birth can produce essentially an alpha mm. what the fuck are we doing yeah and uh rather than do what i think almost any other dystopia would do and that's just kill him <laughs> because he re- represents a threat to the system i'm not saying it's the right thing to do i'm just saying i'm, I'm surprised they didn't try uh they decide that what we're gonna do since the Moore died in the escape attempt and he's the only one we got to worry about is we're going to prove how much better we are mm. by assimilating him into our society. And uh, surely when we look into this abyss, mm. this abyss will not look 
Oh, back that, into us. Definitely not. And no, change uh, us in return. No, that's not a thing. No. Uh, we really so shouldn't yeah, have outlawed books. They, they bring they bring uh, John back in and uh, immediately try to sort of explain how the world works because he doesn't really know. His mom's told him, but he doesn't know all of the details. Yeah. Uh, the biggest wrinkle he has to get used to, and this is something new for the TV series, is this thing called Indra. Mm. And uh, everybody who lives in New London wears these little uh, contact lenses in one of their eyes that have these weird little CGI tendrils that reach into like uh, in a, into, into your, your brain, brain essentially. Yeah. And it, you can see through anybody else's eyes, so that's a, a handy filmmaking conceit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, it's also a good illustration of living without privacy. Yeah, yeah, which is part you, of the you point. Can, you can look yeah. into anybody's eyes, and also it gives you at this. Your emotions are kind of monitored by this new interconnected internet called Indra, mm-hmm. and Indra is not part of the book. It also uh, makes uh, it impossible to hide mm-hmm. your uh, rank. Yeah, yeah, uh, you can see can somebody's see letters yeah. like uh, floating over their heads through your little contact lens. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So Indra is into the book, and I feel like here's the thing, though, and I'm curious about how this feels having read the book. Mm. I'm watching the movie, and I'm like, this book was written in the early 1930s. Yeah. Social media was not a concept, really. So the odds of a sci-fi book impeccably capturing that early on mm. seems impossible. I'm sure there were forebears, but like nailing it seems unlikely. I think we would have been talking about it more. Uh, so I felt like this is clearly an invention for the show as I'm watching it, mm. but I will say this, it also feels like something that if the book had been written for the first time now would probably have been there. Yeah. You well, you can't really escape how I, computer I technology has evolved. The, the inclusion of the computer technology, the aesthetic of new London and the, uh, sort of, uh, theme parkization of the Savage Lands, I think are all really novel additions to the book. Yeah. Indra, I think, is a little bit dumb, especially when we start to follow the thread of Indra. Mm-hmm. We start reaching and, back uh, and finding yeah, more and about as, it. As yeah. The, yeah, as the show goes on, uh, things continue apace for John and for Bernard and for Lenina. Uh, Lenina begins to... St- she stops taking her soma and starts to feel things like anger and antagonism and, mm. and jealousy and joy. And if she f- is just getting a high off of all yeah. these new sensations, uh, Bernard regresses mm. almost immediately. As soon as he gets back from the savage, like, oh, yeah. he's got it out of his system. Mm. But the one thing that he's, what he ends up being is uh, John's caretaker. Mm. That's his job. You're supposed to hang out with this guy and make sure he assimilates. And so he ends up kind of enjoying the novelty of being with the one true celebrity in New London. And that's his kind of like dark downfall from New London as he ends up becoming selfish. Uh, Meanwhile, John vacillates between uh, being completely disgusted with the caste system. Like, uh, why are you cleaning up after me? Well, I'm an Epsilon. Well, what do you want? What did you want to be when you grew up? You know, do you, is it okay if you do this? What if I do this? I'm an alpha. Can an alpha clean that? Just questioning all the system and everybody's yeah. constantly clicking their little Pez machines, yeah. Soma dispensers. It's really cute, actually. Like Whenever, whenever got... he says something like a little bit outrageous, you, you just hear on the soundtrack all these little clicks. The people like dispensing their, yeah. their latest dose. And like you'll notice that like every single minute emotion, even mm. the tiniest awkwardness in, in, in dialogue, mm. you'll hear a... Yeah, it's yeah. kind of like in Demolition Man, where every single time someone swears, you hear in the background, yeah, beep, you've you been have fine been fined five yeah. credits <laughs> for saying the f word. Yeah, yeah, 
Uh, I, I thought that was actually really cute that these little things, and when things get really heated, the clicking gets all the more intense. Like yeah. they were popping more and more soma. I think they got a lot out of that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, meanwhile, off to the side, the president uh, is able to see this like ghostly holographic sort of manifestation of Indra. And it's eventually revealed, and this is when it gets really stupid. This gets really stupid. And it doesn't Uh, go anywhere, which drives me No, is that Indra has actually been this artificial orchestrator of all of the society. Yeah. This wasn't just a natural evolution of of seeking hedonism and pleasure at the expense of art and passion. Yeah. This was some sort of like matrix like plan by a it machine. Like a, it was basically civilization <clears throat> fell apart. Mm-hmm. And then uh, about 12 scientists came together, created this Indra thing and uh, created Indra to engineer everything it would need to create a perfect society in which people could thrive in which there was order. And in which the various impulses, which drive humanity to self-destruct would be taken care of. Mm. And uh, it turns out that Indra takes this like holographic form of uh, Mustafa mm-hmm. um, as like a younger woman, um, and uh, it turns out the other eleven uh, creators of Indra are like they're sleeping in a coma, like they're they're like in hypersleep, and their brains are hooked into like their brains are powering Indra, yeah. and that raises a bunch of stupid questions. Like, wait a minute. You're telling me that this civilization is less than 40 years old? This has been going on for like less than, like within a person's lifetime and Mustafa is not old. Like she's older, but Hmm. she's like, what, 50? That mean, and when she created Indra, she was been in like her twenties. So the entire history oh, of this I, dystopia would be like the last twenty five years. A big part of of this world is that people don't have memories; they they just sort of they're encouraged to forget. Yeah, but yeah, it's it starts raising some the, serious the, the, questions. The actual about, timeline like, doesn't make any sense when we start bringing Indra into it. I guess my point isn't that it's implausible that the civilization isn't that old i think it just loses a lot of its power if well, this has cycle has only been going for one generation it, it's, it's you not know? just that it loses its power it's that uh, who cares that it's more poignant if society naturally evolved that way mm. um compare uh, uh something one of the things i like about ray bradbury's fahrenheit 451 another great dystopian novel yeah is that they actually explain in the book that there was no insidious government program to burn books. The premise of Fahrenheit 451, it's the future reading and intellectualism are considered so suspect that there's a government-run team of firemen who go to people's houses and burn their books. Books Mm -hmm. are illegal. If you ever saw the movie Uh, Equilibrium, it's like if Brave New World and Fahrenheit 451 and The Matrix fucked. Yeah. Like, they're all, it's like they're jammed all together. They had a threesome. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and in Fahrenheit 451, though, they explain that there wasn't an instigating instance for this. People just started to, like, stopped reading. Yeah. And over the, over as, you know, years and years pass and this weird stigma started getting to, attached to intellectualism and books. Gee, I wonder where that came from. Uh-huh. And, uh, and Ray Bradbury just sort of pushed it one step further and said, and eventually people just decided 
that books aren't something we're going to do anymore. Yeah. And that's where all of the, the drama comes from. That and that seems perilously close to where we are now, which is and that's, very frightening. And that's what Brave New World is about. That's what all dystopians or uh, dystopia literature is about. That well, if we continue on a certain path or if we pursue a certain notion, yeah. uh, just naturally we're going to fall into this extreme thing that is not doesn't resemble humanity as we know it. Yeah, if there is yeah. an evil computer intelligence manipulating us, then it kind of takes us off the hook. That's not dystopian anymore. We've just been invaded. Well, there are two things with that. Mm. One, we could argue that we are constantly putting computers more and more in control over our lives as is. So it's really not that much that further down the line. Mm. If you think about it, like we're using Facebook or whatever to control, to sort of uh, control our own social lives. Mm. At what point does Facebook start controlling our social lives for us yeah. and start telling us what to do? That's not a gigantic leap in terms of narrative speculative fiction. So I'm not really opposed to that, but I totally agree with your point because dystopian stories are not meant to be like, oh, that's weird. I'm glad we're not there. They're supposed to reflect where we are now, mm. only somewhat heightened. Yeah. It's like, this is exactly like, like the, at the heart of Brave New World, what is it about? It is about a class system that is upside down and only benefits a small number of people and exploits the largest number of people. That's something that humanity has been dealing with constantly. Mm. Right now is one of those times where... And because it's never really gone away, at least not for very long. So uh, all of that feels very, very relevant. The idea of a society that is constantly seeking to escape reality. We do that too, don't mm -hmm. we? So all of the, the, an idea of a society that looks at other cultures in an incredibly degrading way. Yeah. And assumes they have nothing of value to offer us because we've got it all figured out. And we're fucking wrong about that. That has also always been a thing. So, although it's a sci-fi story, it's only a sci-fi story because people are just sort of talking about this stuff openly rather than it being the subtext running through our culture. Right. So, yeah. So, I don't necessarily agree with you that adding this, like, social media network that has taken on, like, a mind of its own is mm. that far removed. But I do well, think that it, the way it's handled mm. is extra phony. Well, and if you throw that in there, though, it changes the entire premise. Huh. That way, if, if you have the villain of the piece, essentially, the thing that has uh, led us to the dystopia was our reliance on a social network, yeah. then all of the genetic manipulation, all of the uh, artlessness, the devotion to hedonism, the addiction to drugs, the caste system, all of those things are now blameless. They're yeah. not natural extensions right. that of, is, of our that social evolution. You have to now work it's all now. It's just the social network. You would have to work overtime to illustrate that Indra is an extension of ourselves. Yeah, and which that, this show does not do. It, it pays a little lip service to it, but you're right; it doesn't do it, and mm -hmm. that's one of the problems that we're seeing with a lot of technology is that it's coded by people, and people have mm -hmm. inherent biases. Yeah, you mm -hmm. look at things like facial recognition software and how it mostly works on white people. That's right. You know, and it's just sort of just like, hmm, maybe that, that's a problem. Maybe we uh, have too many Here's, of one type of person not questioning mm -hmm. things in the lab. Here, here, here's a weird thing I learned just recently. Um, hair removal, like laser hair removal technology, yeah. is based on a visual spectrum. And the laser targets dark hairs on light skin. 
So oh, it, fuck it, you. It, yeah, so it actually wasn't designed for people with darker skin tones. Fuck it was you. developed by presumably by white people thinking only about white skin tones. Yeah, see there you go. But that's like so, Yeah, that's 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 dystopian yeah. shit right there. Yeah, it's right yeah. now. Yeah. Uh yeah, if, if again, if they had changed Brave New World to be about that, that would have been something different. Mm-hmm. Like, the, okay, we've put our too much faith into this technology. This technology contains all of our flaws. Mm-hmm. And now this is what's creating our addiction, our addiction to hedonism and our addiction to artlessness. Yeah, and they, But they, they, that's, they, that's a, a kind of way off to the they, side. They of toy TV with show. that a little bit. And what they say mm-hmm. is that whenever anyone within the Indra system dies, mm-hmm. all of their memories and their recordings get like pumped back into Indra and Indra uses that information in order to self-correct the system and make it even better in the mm-hmm. future. And the thing that they toy with is the idea that Indra has now absorbed so much human experience, albeit in this weird, you know, muted mm. kind of tone, uh, that it is developing its own personality and its own flaws, which is fine, but it's also Terminator. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's just kind of Terminator, specifically Terminator Genesis, which is, of course, the good one. Um, That's the best one. Yeah. Got a really big twist. <laughs> which, which one? John John Connor's a robot. Oh, that tw- there's like three twists in that movie that like everyone knew going in. It's hilarious. Um, so yeah, so the the story is basically once John gets to New London, uh, it kind of becomes an exercise in inevitability because mm-hmm. we're seeing John. He's torn. He's enjoying the orgies. Quite a bit. And, and, he, he, and being, he appreciates being a celebrity. Yeah, being a celebrity is great. It's, at, it's at, intoxicating. At first, he refuses the soma, but he gets on the soma pretty quick. But he does refuse Indra for a long time. He won't put one of those things in his eye. Yeah, he refuses, and he and he takes the soma, but he doesn't rewire rewire his personality. Mm. It just mutes his reactions a little bit. So he's still unhappy and questioning things. Like it doesn't turn him into a zombie. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, the the back half of these nine episodes is mostly John and Bernard going to parties and John going, I don't really like these parties. Mm. I guess this one's fine if I get to fuck this person. I don't really and, like uh, these parties anymore. And, and John then, and Lenina start having a, a surreptitious affair. Yeah. And uh, that, unfortunately, Bernard has also decided that he's in love with Lenina and he's actually starting to feel these temptations and uh, the jealousy ends up pushing them all apart and uh, it really all comes to a head when John starts hanging out more with the Epsilons. And the Epsilons have noticed that John is not really following the system. And if the system doesn't work, why the fuck would we, the Epsilons, keep doing anything? Mm. And John is encouraging this. And before he realizes it, he has spawned not just a rebellious movement, but a violent insurrection. <laughs> Mm. And be and it, at the moment where it's like he's got all of these epsilon dudes around him, and they're all in like their their white jumpsuits, and they've done like some light vandalism and like some like uh, uh, they like broke the soma machine, and everyone's kind of panicking because where they're gonna get their soma from. Uh-huh. And uh, John's just like, oh, just walk around with all my Epsilon friends looking badass. And then one of the Epsilons takes, like, a javelin and throws it across the room and, like, impales an alpha. And John's like, uh, whoa, are we doing that? And they're like, yeah, we're doing yeah, that. Yeah, we're doing that. And, and then they just like start a... slaughtering everybody in the last episode, just a massacre. That's not in the book either. <laughs> the Epsilon Uprising is not in the book. At all? Nope. Okay. It's not part of the story. That's a... 
it seems like a natural sort of uh, uh, mm. evolution narratively if you're trying to build a television series with an exciting ending. I, I suppose so. Yeah. Um, but it's it's dumb. It's slow moving, weirdly. Like yeah. when they start getting into all of the stuff they invented, it, it the, the whole show just sort of grinds to a halt. It's like they ran out of ideas really early on. Yeah. They started throwing in some new ideas and... None of them stuck for me. And what are the new ones? Like besides uh, in, uh, besides Indra, in, like Indra, are... Indra and the Uprising, most notably. Okay. Uh, the, the the also the Uprising at in the Savage Lands. Like all of these, all of the most violent stuff yeah. uh, was was all invented. The Uprising in the Savage Lands mm-hmm. is like really important in episodes two and three and like half of four, and then, and the then it's forgotten, end, yeah. and then it's forgotten for the rest of it, mm-hmm. and then we're just left with sexy parties and you know rich people malaise and. The back half of this season could have been three episodes. Yeah. The whole back half could have been three episodes and we would have missed next to nothing. Well, I mean, it was only nine, so we're we're kind of in the back. Right. But my point is that it could have been, it feels like at least 30% padded. Yeah. And I that's a lot when you realize that we're just going to sexy parties mm. over and over again. And much like the show suggests, your first sexy orgy party is pretty cool. <laughs> your second sexy orgy party also pretty cool and, and I'll your say 50th is dull us, as fuck well, I would say your 50th is pretty good too uh, it's very, <laughs> I'm sorry I didn't when you start rounding around 300 that's when it starts to the, the bloom is off the road I, I, I apologize I yield to your experience <laughs> um, moving on uh, <laughs> we came on saying who's, who's introducing these ideas we actually didn't say who developed the show uh, one of the developers of the show was Grant Morrison yeah who is a, a well-known comic book author. Yeah, uh, Grant Morrison, who has written a lot of stuff. Yeah, I know he was on uh, Heavy Metal for a long time. Mm. He did a lot of uh, DC comics that I yeah. didn't read. He's, he wrote, uh, uh, let's see, he's, he's, his run on Animal Man was really groundbreaking mm. because it actually, uh, gradually, the protagonist started becoming aware he was in a comic book. <laughs> and it concluded with like him meeting Grant Morrison and Grant Morrison apologizing for not writing him well enough. Like That's, it's, that's really cute. It's really, really cool. He did some really legendary runs on Batman and All-Star Superman. His his All-Star Superman, I consider one of, Mm -hmm. if not the best Superman stories. It's truly excellent writing. Um, He's also... uh, He's also the kind of writer who gets really big on his, like, wild, spacey, sci-fi, philosophical ideas. And sometimes forgets to, like, tell a story with them good. And, Mm -hmm. like, he just assumes you'll just be, like, really interested in all of the big, crazy... Like, it, fe- it feels like he came up with all these ideas. I don't know, but he feels like he came up with all these, all these ideas on shrooms kind of thing. <laughs> like, this absolutely spaced out, uh-huh. awesome seminar from, like, some weird New Age guru. And it, there's a bunch of ideas that really blow your mind. But by the time you're done with it, you're just like, wasn't didn't this start with a narrative? And you're just like, yeah, we're not really all that interested in that anymore. Um, well, so he's, he's hit or miss with me. I think his ideas are often strong. His run on X-Men is fucking amazing. Okay, I'll say that right now. Fucking amazing run on X Men. I'll say I'll say this: his run on Brave New World wasn't very good. No, maybe and, because uh, it's, it's, it's a group thing, like, though. We can't lay it all on yeah. him. But yeah, uh, yeah, it was it was developed centrally by uh, uh, someone named David Weiner, and I'm not familiar with David Weiner's work. Um, uh, David Weiner, um, uh, you you may know David Weiner uh, from such uh, stuff as Fear the Walking Dead. Oh, okay. He did Fear the Walking Dead. Uh, he was on that show Homecoming for a while. 
Uh, and he also did a show called uh, Flesh and Bone, which I was unfamiliar mm-hmm. with. Um, but this is this was like David Wiener's like first like big, yeah, like all him kind of show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, he worked with other people. Uh, Brian Taylor also worked on this. Uh, Brian Taylor, uh, <laughs> you might know him from Neville Dean and Taylor. Oh, okay, yeah, the comedian. So, uh, no. What? Oh, no, Neville Dean Taylor. Sorry, I was thinking what somebody you, else. Who are you thinking of? Neville Dean and Taylor is a filmmaking they, duo. They, they, they eventually the, like, split up. Yeah. The people don't necessarily know. Mark the, Neville the Dean and Brian Taylor. Movies, yeah. yeah, the Crank. Crank 1 is quite good. Crank 2 is fucking awful. Uh, but uh, they also did Gamer, which I think is really underrated. Uh, and they did uh, Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance, which is highly underrated. <laughs> that movie is delightfully That's off the wall. Wonderfully kooky film. Yeah, just hmm. nuts. And I admire it for that does it work not really is it awesome also yes <laughs> um right, so that's well, a weird group of people where you've got this person who's like really built well, into like yeah. amc type television and you've got this one like really wild and super ridiculously creative comic book creator and then you have this like ultra like guttural visceral filmmaker all working together to create a television series out of this like required reading dystopia tone and I, it kind of makes sense actually because you can see all those things fighting each other it's trying to be an event yeah, series there's it's a trying lot to be high-minded uh, and it's trying to be cool a lot of tones start to clash especially at the end especially in the last episode where nothing makes sense mm-hmm. um so there's this big uprising of all the epsilons they're killing everybody uh Meanwhile, we find that one of the Epsilons is actually like a clone of one of the founders who's one of the guys plugged into the machine. Uh, C-Jack 60 is played by Joseph Morgan. Uh, Joseph Morgan was on the originals. He was in 92 episodes of the originals. He was in 51 episodes of the Vampire Diaries. He played Klaus, if that helps you. It does not help me. We were not... Familiar saw, with the Vampire Diaries. I saw Jenny Nicholson's whole like three hour video explaining the Vampire Diaries, which is a really compelling documentary. <laughs> I was really, explaining the show. It's a really, a really hours. great video on like showing you how to break down an entire gigantic television series, but I couldn't tell you anything about it. <laughs> he was a master and commander. Okay. There yes, you go. He, yes, he was. Uh, um, also, um, so they don't really get into what that no. means that he's a clone of this guy. What, what is what is that? What do you t- what? Mm. And. So yeah, we, we get to find these brains that are plugged into Indra. Meanwhile, I, I don't know how this happened, but Bernard found himself like lost in an electric dimension. Like he slipped inside Indra's brain at some well, point. Indra was in the... Okay, it's Lawnmower Man. It's, Here's yeah. what happened. It's Lawnmower Man. So at the end of Lawnmower Man... By the way, don't we really don't need to see Lawnmower Man. <laughs> like if you want to, it won't stop you and you might find some interesting early 90s shit out of it. But if you were thinking to yourself, Lawnmower Man was really, really cool. We've watched it again recently. It doesn't hold I, up. I, I loved it when I was 12. There, there's things I like about it, but it's, it's, you, don't, you don't need to rush mm. to see Lawnmower Man. But I'm going to just walk you through it. At the end of Lawnmower Man, Jeff Fahey's character has jacked himself into the internet and become a cyber god. But... Pierce Brosnan, in order to defeat the Lawnmower Man, has to basically trap him in a, a, a computerscape without connection to the internet. Mm. And the whole thing is, can the Lawnmower Man find an escape route into the internet before it's too late? 
Uh, that's what they're doing with the, Indra. They're killing every single like mind that's connected to Indra, that's creating Indra. And then at the end of it, Bernard is still jacked into Indra, even while everyone else is being slaughtered. And Indra finds basically just like, hey, I'm dying. I'm going to download myself into your brain. So now he can see everything Indra is doing and vice versa. Mm. What he also gets is a gold box with a thing in it and they don't tell you what the thing is i assume it's marcellus wallace's soul aldous huxley would love <laughs> love all these new wrinkles right it's the- fun oh my God. so this so the series ends with uh bernard and helm uh escaping to the savage lands mm-hmm. uh, where they're going to meet up with the rebels and something something meanwhile uh john feeling i, I guess a little bad about getting all those people slaughtered uh, is living in the ruins of a former city, uh, fishing and eating fish. And Lenina is put, like, in charge by Mustafa. And uh, the last she, time we see her, she's sec- farming. Secretary of something or other. She's the secretary of doing important things. Mm-hmm. But the last time we see her, she's farming. Mm-hmm. So she's going to farm. Also, that's, I forgot that's where to, we leave off the first season. Also, I forgot to mention Franny, played by Kylie Bunbury from... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Bunbury from uh, uh, pitch um she's driven mad with jealousy because it turns out she's been in love with lenina this whole time and lenina spending all this time with john and like enjoying her new big ideas and going off on all these adventures so she like volunteers to go for, into reconditioning but ends up hijacking the reconditioning at like taser wand point and getting herself inserted as like a police officer so she can abuse that and beat the shit out of Lenina and I don't understand what any of that was no I don't understand how she did that what the function of the it really felt rushed I'm like you could have done that for a couple of episodes and actually explained what the hell was going on and what that meant because I was really lost I was really, really lost on that one. Yeah. It's it's it, it's it gets, it's it's too slow and it's too fast. Well, it's right, such a right, right at thing. the end, they just introduce all this new information, and it's like, whoa, slow down there. It feels like a desperation move to get picked up for season two. Like it's gonna be super fucking interesting mm. if you can get to the last episode. I'm like, no, you space that shit out so people will want to get to the last episode. Instead, you, frankly, the show was quite boring, and like episodes like. Five through eight are kind of a blur. Mm. They're they really don't introduce the, the, a lot. The first four are a little bit closer to the book, and that's yeah. the more interesting stuff. And then all of the new stuff is just just crazy go nuts. Uh, and it yeah totally lost me. Yeah, just the, all of the new stuff was just really really stupid science fiction action stuff. Yeah, it feels like, it you, feels you had, weirdly undeveloped for an adaptation. Yeah, well. Brave New World is not a long book. It's not terribly complicated, and it's it's not like Lord of the Rings where you can expand it right. and you know spend twelve hours adapting just you know the same same source material. Well, it seems like you just have to tell more stories within the world it created rather than mm. try to expand the story that they the, told the forever. One, I did like the uh, and you mentioned her already. The uh, the Feely's director mm. gets really obsessed with John. John gets into a fist fight at one point and nobody's experienced a fist fight. So why doesn't somebody get, what does it feel like to be punched? And there's yeah, this that's new, the, that's the new Feely sensation. Yeah, that's that's like, the new MCU. Everybody wants to like, Oh gosh, that that's wow. Weirdly horrible. I've never experienced that before. Uh, next please. Mm. Like, yeah. Oh, this is horrible. I hate this. Mm. You want another one? Yes, please. 
Everyone turns into data from Star Trek Generations. Um, but yeah, she starts getting really interested in the new ideas and sensations that John mm. offers. And then there's this is ama- this is actually a really good bit where she's explaining how feelies work to John and like here's this feely where like you're falling into a pit and then you're like you're you're raining fire all over you and of course it ends in an orgy. They all end in an orgy. Mm. And uh, John's just like that's not a story. Mm-hmm. And she's like, what's what, what's a story? And he's like, a story is a series of events that is compelling and puts you in the perspective of a protagonist and makes you give a crap about what they're doing and expands your perspective to understand what other people feel. And she's just like, uh-huh. <laughs> and I feel like that, I almost wish I could have just seen a whole series of trying to make art that connects to people that have completely detached from the concept of art. Mm-hmm. There's at least a good episode there that could have just been about feely production that I feel like would have been well, kind of fun to just sort of pull mm-hmm. apart and like, actually, instead of like rushing everything, why don't we just take our time, but instead of taking our time with more orgies, mm-hmm. take our time and show different aspects of this world and yeah, how like they what is, function. What does child rearing look like? Have an entire yeah. child rearing episode. Yeah, and it how is... John's weird mm-hmm. X Factor influence affects every single one of these and changes them. That's, that's a good a, idea. That's yeah, not a bad idea. It. I want to see that. That's the thing. I'm and, interested she, by the world. The only, I'm just not yeah. by the story. And uh, the the director, I forgot the character's name. Uh, uh, Helm. Helm. Wilhelmina uh, Helm Watson. She's played yeah. by Anna John Kamen. And, and Anna John Kamen, uh, the Anna John Kamen character, is the only artist in this world. Yeah. And of course, she's like completely full of herself. Oh, I'm, I've done all these really important things. Like I created these feelies where you fall down a well. Yeah. And it's really... she's And she behaves differently from all the other characters. So that makes her a lot more interesting. You reminded me of... Um, um, uh, you ever see Footlight Parade? Um, James Cagney. Oh, no, I haven't it's seen it. It's Berkeley movie. James yeah, yeah. Cagney. Uh, it's actually, the premise is pretty good. There's, unfortunately, some racism in there, which sucks. But, it's from uh, the 30s. It's from yeah. the 30s. It's in there. It's just sometimes, it it's, time. sometimes some of the shit is hard to watch. That's mm. all. But mostly it's quite good. And uh, the whole bit is uh, James Cagney is like a theater producer. And all of a sudden, movies are becoming really popular and theater is starting to become less popular. And his pitch is, I'm going to come up with live shows to play before movies. <laughs> so we're going to combine the mediums. But the thing is, there's so many new movies, he can't do the same live show over and over again. So he has to come up with like a new live show every week. And the whole thing is, he's burned out. Mm. He's constantly coming up with new ideas. Some of them are good, and some of them are fucking terrible. But he's... That's it. And so her whole thing is she has to come up with a new sensation in a world where there's no inspiration. There's nothing new. Mm. She's got to come up with a new sensation. And I love that every single one of her feelies is the same title with a number behind it. She's been making the same. (laughs) Imagine if there were only Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. Mm. And there have been hundreds. And after a while, it's like, listen, sometimes they're good. But anything else? (laughs) Anything. That's... um... It's the brave new world we're heading for, isn't it? Yeah, it's great. The the phrase "brave new world" comes from the Tempest, by the way. Yeah, uh, the I think the scenes I liked best were actually with Richard Brake. <laughs> Richard Brake, who is I <laughs> who's think, one of the savages, of course. Richard Brake is, I think, one of the better character actors of his generation at this point. Like he's got, he needs a horror franchise. Some, yeah, like if you ever like reboot Nightmare on Elm Street, get Richard Brake. Mm. He will kill it. He'll be amazing. Um, but uh, he... I, I I always thought Maria Bello should play the next Freddy Krueger. I buy that. Uh, yeah, that's cool. Um, 
fr- call her Frida Krueger. There's been a, there's been a movement online to get Kevin Bacon to do it, and I'm like, that's also cool. That's, Kevin yeah. Bacon can be cool. <laughs> uh, but uh, in any case, Richard Brake plays. Uh, if you don't know who I'm talking about, he was Joe Chill in Batman Begins. He was the guy who killed Batman's parents. You probably recognize um, his face from that. No. It's probably his biggest movie. Um, he's been in bigger roles, but it's probably his biggest movie. Um, he plays like a junk shop dealer, and he's like a, sc- a scavenger dealer. And uh, Alden Ehrenreich is constantly uh, coming into his, um, you know, his uh, trailer, mm. looking for new music. Yeah. Because no one's making new music. No one's recording new music, even if they are. So he's constantly looking for new music. And and he's he's got, like, exactly, like, the Walkman from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, he's so, got the oh, same yeah, headphones and everything. But um, the whole thing is he's looking for new tunes. Mm-hmm. And, like, you hear him listening to... Who do you listen to? He's looking, listening to Neil Diamond once. And uh, there's one bit it's like, Hey, you got anything new? This all this all looks terrible. I'm like, what is this? Debbie's awesome mix? <laughs> and he's just like, hey, Debbie was ahead of her time. <laughs> and that made me laugh. But then there's this whole bit where like, oh, like, oh, I got this one really good stuff. I'm not telling anybody about it. And he's like, I have no idea. Who is this? And he's like, nobody knows. <laughs> and then at the end of the episode, you find out it was Radiohead. Yeah. Like Radiohead has been lost to time. The music exists, but the band is gone. <laughs> Which is... The kind of thing I kind of like in futuristic stories is mm. all these things that we think of as ubiquitous and popular yeah. fading. There's a really great, uh, if you're not familiar with the online comic strip XKCD, just the letters, mm. uh, it's one of my favorites. So, Stickman. It's just Stickman. Yeah, it's mostly Stickman mm. uh, uh, drawings, but it's very conceptual. Uh, the writer uh, is bases a lot of his humor on uh, science and computer technology, and mm. sometimes it's a little inaccessible. Mostly it's very accessible. Um, and uh, there was one bit he did where um, it was like the year like 3012, and like someone's like saying goodbye to someone in their space rocket ship. And it's like, okay, enjoy your trip to the Mars colonies. Okay, may the force be with you. What is that? I don't know. It's something my great, 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 great grandmother used to say. I never knew what it meant. And it was just the caption was like the last time Star Wars is ever referenced. <laughs> <laughs> it will be forgotten Because eventually it will. Yeah. But it's like, you've got to imagine, like, it's so popular now. How long will it take until Star Wars fades? Mm. It's... It'll happen eventually, mm. but when? I don't know. It's a, it's a, it, it kind of was a fun question. Like, mm. you think about how popular things are and how, like... Let's, uh, the thing about all the blockbusters from the 30s that most people never heard of now. Mm. And that's less than 100 years ago. That's something I appreciate about certain kinds of, of science fiction novels that take place so far in the future that nothing's recognizable anymore. Like, something yeah. like Dune. Yeah. That, do, that does take place in the future. It takes mm. place in... The, the year 10,191. I assume that's A.D. 10,191. Yeah. Uh, and if not, God only knows how far in the future. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, but I know in one of the sequels to the books, they start making references to like 20th century characters. It's like, but they're like so unbelievably ancient mm-hmm. that nobody knows who these people it's are It's like anymore. Gilgamesh. Yeah. Like yeah. We're, we're aware of it, but the actual mm-hmm. context is, is vanished. Well, yeah. we, we know a lot about Gilgamesh. Well, you know what I mean, but like most Sumerian people. culture, but yeah. Yeah. Well, for example, we started this podcast talking about Crocodile Dundee 1 and 2. I imagine there's a... Even then, there's a bunch of people who don't know what that is. I bet there's a few people who are listening. And by the way, this is totally okay. This is not a gatekeeping or shaming thing. Mm. Those those movies were huge hits when they came out. And now, people don't talk about them a lot. There's like a sequel being made because Paul Hogan still is some celebrity. And I'm sure it'll... Mm. I haven't seen it. Um, 
but they're just not talked about very often. And I imagine there's a lot of people who just haven't seen him and maybe haven't even heard of him. Or or have only vaguely heard of them. There were were two really popular films in the late 80s. There was a third not popular one in the early 2000s. They tried to reboot it then. Crocodile Dundee goes to Los Angeles. Goes to Hollywood? Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, yeah. I saw that on a plane once. That is the perfect movie to watch on a plane. That's exactly a plane movie, (laughs) yeah. Uh, and yeah, they're they're gonna do it again. Yeah. Paul Hogan, I think, is in his seventies now, but he's they're gonna Good. bring him back. I like Paul Hogan. All right, but uh, the real question is: yeah. if Brave New World had lasted, where the fuck? Where do they go? It seems like I they kind of ran through it, right? They they ran through the book. They were running on their own ideas. Their own ideas were stupid. Who knows? We're gonna find out the mystery of this box and the yeah. mystery, like they what do you had think to, in the box. I they had to introduce that, all of these new elements, and I don't know where those are gonna go, and I really don't care. Yeah, uh, but yeah, what's in the box? Probably would... like a. You know what I think it is? It's probably like a little. It's gonna be something really abstract, like some sort of physical thing that if you touch it or if you're near it, you get like psychic Indra powers. Or, or maybe it's like this terraforming thing where a new Indra can grow in a new mm. society. And it's it'll be warring societies. New London and new New London. Mm. Um, I don't know. Put everybody to sleep and reboot everybody and wipe everybody's memory. It's some sort yeah. of like, doomsday device. I don't know. Mm. It opens up and there's a Cenobite inside. Look, if, uh, if it lasted a long time, mm. I'd have been very surprised. It just doesn't have the dramatic human or narrative hooks mm-hmm. that something like event television like game of thrones and its heyday had like we look back at game of thrones now that we know like where it all led and we realize that it didn't actually lead to all that much and a lot of the things we were invested in were ultimately kind of unimportant or sort of betrayed us like they weren't as smart as we thought they were or we mm-hmm. weren't as meaningful or as clever or the characters who we thought were heroes were not and ultimately it just kind of feels sullied by its ending but there was this chunk for years where it was the number one thing people talked about on tv Hmm. and it was that because it was unlike what else was on tv there weren't like giant lord of the rings type shows with big budgets on tv uh it had a vast cast of characters who were constantly being put through unexpected plot twists uh, and their journeys were based on things we could understand, like pain and grieving and fear and tyranny. Brave New World is too abstract for that. Hmm. It's drama, except, except at the beginning with that whole uprising, which I, it, at least was visceral. For the majority of the series, the drama is stayed and muted yeah, and, and kind of abstract and not very interesting and then it gets it peaks well, and it, it, it gets more incident at the end but mm. by that point you've lost us they're just trying to put too much incident in it i actually liked yeah. the stayed drama the things that were a little bit more talky and just sort of exploring the world room by room that's the yeah. that's the interesting stuff yeah and seeing sort of an outsider's perspective we didn't and this is, this is the way the book operates, where we start in New London and we bring the Savage in. I think this would have been wiser to start completely in the Savage Lands. Yeah. And not ever see New London and then bring the Savage in and we can see everything through his eyes. Yeah, we can't wait till the end of the season to do that, but we can wait an episode or two. Yeah, like the yeah. The, the entire first episode is just the Savage Lands. Yeah, and we're sort of, it looks and, kind of recognizable. Maybe it's and these, now. These, but these going? mysterious people in these clean outfits keep coming by on yeah. like a monorail and they're eating pills and we don't know what's up with them. Yeah, that would have been cool, like, actually. That would have been that, like yeah. introduce us to the world a little bit better. I dig that. Uh, 
Yeah, I think that would have been. I think that would have been a really a, a much way better, to yeah, a much yeah. better way to. So by the time we get to sort of like and like the final shot of the the pilot is of course you know like a glory shot of New London. Yeah. But then we have to go back to the Savage Lands and work our way back. Yeah, because I think starting with Lenina is okay because she's pushing at the boundaries of it. Starting with Bernard, mm. I feel like with Bernard, what they're really going for is Gaius Baltar from the reboot of Game uh, from a reboot of Battlestar Galactica. Okay. Who was a very different character from the original. Okay. I Uh, I just know the Lauren Green character. The Lauren Green character. It's a great character, don't get me wrong. But the Lauren Green character, Gaius Baltar, in the original Battlestar, we we did a whole episode on Battlestar and Battlestar 2000, Mm -hmm. but we never did the new Battlestar because it lasted a while. Um, And I was a big fan. But uh, the original Battlestar, Gaius Baltar, betrays humanity to the uh, robotic Cylons Mm -hmm. and is working with the Cylons to destroy humanity. In the reboot, Gaius Baltar is like the Elon Musk of his era. He's everyone looks up to him <laughs> and he's super famous and he's all dating right. all these sexy people. And what he doesn't realize is that he has been duped by the Cylons into giving them all the information they need about humanity to destroy all of humanity. And he's inadvertently responsible for the deaths of like 300 billion people. Mm-hmm. But he's the only one who knows that right now. So he's hiding out. And in fact, like people are just like, well, guys, Baltar has to survive the apocalypse. I'll get off of this like last like ship and like make sure that you survive while I die. Go, Gaius Baltar. You're the greatest hope for us all. And Gaius Baltar's like, ah, thanks. <laughs> he's such a fucking sniveling asshole. <laughs> and uh, so the new, whole new take on the character. It's, right? it's a great take on the character. I, I love the take on the character. And so he spends most of the series um with the humans mm. covering his own ass and he'll help the humans if it fits him but if helping the humans would mean revealing his what he did to help the cylons he will help the cylons he's only cares about himself that's it that's his whole character all right and it's really kind of fascinating and there's this one really great bit that i sadly the series never really did a lot with was um there's a caste system in the Cylons as well, where the ones who look human are in charge of everything, and then there are the ones mm. that look like the robots in the original series, and they're just they're just they're the <laughs> oh, epsilons. Oh, isn't that cute? They're the okay. epsilons, and they just they're just like the Terminators walking around, and like he's hanging out with the Terminators while the, all the human ones are doing their own business, and he's feeling like a little rejected, so he starts talking to the to the Terminator Cylons, and he's just like, oh yeah, yeah, they're, they're doing their own thing without you. Yeah, not really keeping your breasts in their situation. Just going on, you know, enjoying their religion, talking about God. Oh, they never told you about God, did they? <laughs> and, and it's like, he's such a weird shit. So I feel like what they're doing with Bernard is like him, like his selfishness is trying to be this weird X factor that could help or hurt the positivity of the story, like the story could have a happy ending based on what Bernard does, or the story could have a horrifying ending based on what Bernard does. But what Bernard do is what is in Bernard's self-interests, mm. regardless of what else is going on. But I think starting with him and making us think that maybe he's like the hero who's like gonna like realize his position is bad and like, mm. you know, become a good guy. And then showing us that, like, no, he's a sniveling piece of shit. And, like, he's... It's, like, it's just too many reversals early on. Hmm. Rather than just picking a tone with him and then letting him go. Made him seem less like a fascinating character who could do anything. And more like a character who could be anything based on what the writers need him to be right now. 
And so I never really got a. I never. I like the actor. Yeah. I just, and I, I thought he did the best he could. It just felt like the character didn't have a through line that made sense. It felt like it was just sort of whatever the writing needs right now. And if that's completely different than the way it was mm. written two episodes ago, so be it. I, I think he had a, a good detached quality. Like he he understood society and was so indoctrinated into New London that Bernard was uh, a little bit fascinated by all the outsider stuff, but he didn't really fall into it the same way all the other characters did that mm. did that. Like a, Lenina stopped taking Soma and she fell in love and she, she started to live the world of the savage. He was too well mannered for that. He was kind of a wimpy character. Yeah. And I actually like that kind of character. Man, we need so, more so, of that, Somebody yeah. who is, is a, a little bit weak willed, who is fascinated like he can kind of see what the right thing to do is but he's a little bit too afraid he's yeah. a little bit too well conditioned and i think that's something we can all really relate to we know what sort of the daring good thing to do is but we really don't want to leave our comfort zone yeah I that's actually, what I, that's what i saw in the character was somebody who's unable to leave a comfort zone that he was a little too familiar with and i'm actually totally fine with that yeah. and i see your point i just don't think he was conveyed as clearly as he could have been whereas i feel like john mm. actually has all those same frailties, but in a different way where he's from the savage lands. He's like this invaluable, like reference point that's going to show all these people how they're living the wrong way. But he also really loves attention yeah. and he, and he loves and, having and meaningless sex yeah, and, a horny he, guy, why and, he, not? and he also gets super duper jealous when he starts like having a monogamous relationship with Lenina, but because she's a beta, she has to keep having sex with other people or they're going to find out mm. like, I actually was like kind of with this. Like I was actually like, I appreciate that he is not this like perfect avatar for basically just saying, Hey, everything well, that we're doing now yeah. is better than this perfect society you've created to fix it. What he's also saying is, and everything we're doing now is also kind of shitty, but we're a bit more free. So that's good. Uh, if we, uh, if we look at the original novel, um, it, it does have a conservative bent about sort of sticking to traditional marital values and it comes down really hard on promiscuity. That's, that's a big theme of the, the book. Uh, it goes to a larger theme of taking too many drugs and enjoying too many hedonistic pleasures in this sort of picture of Dorian Gray kind of way. But uh, it, at the end of the day is really trying to promote traditional values mm. and traditional marriage structures. Yeah. Uh, and, I feel like that's not part of the show. They're trying, they kind of lost sight of what John stood for after a while. He's, and he's got a conservative a little, bet, you yeah. know, like in terms of like, just like, this is how old fashioned things should be. Unfortunately, John is, uh, he's not like a, a bright, well-spoken character. He's just sort of an average Joe. Yeah. That he doesn't ever in the course of this series, make a good argument for his way of life. Mm. We kind of understand what he's getting at because we live more like he does. Mm hmm. But he never actually says something really kind of salient or important or sh like earth shattering for the new Londoners. Except for the like, Epsilons for whom treating them like human beings at all feels like a revelation. Yeah, that, that's, yeah. but that's it. But then, but then even then he, he mm. accidentally leads them to mass mm. murder because he wasn't very articulate. But he, he has no good argument against hedonism. <laughs> it's no. like the, and in fact he falls into it. It's like, oh. I want to move to New London. Yeah. Just take drugs and have orgies all the time. That sounds fun. Yeah. And again, there's something, there's something kind of like, you know, anti promiscuity yeah. about the fundamental narrative here where it's just like, you know, if you have non monogamous relationships and a lot of really fun orgies that are completely consequence free, 
you're the monster here. Mm. And I'm like, okay, that's weirdly judgy. What are we... Like, <laughs> well, if you could do that, why, why, that's a... Well, we're, we're, we're well sh- monster me up then. Yeah, yeah we're not going like- to shame that shit. What the hell? That's that's fine. What are you doing? Mm. Um, one last note uh, before we move uh, ask the final question of was the show canceled too soon? Mm. Uh, after watching this and learning more about the characters, I finally understood uh, the naming reference in Demolition Man where Sandra Bullock plays Lenina Huxley. That's right. Yeah. yeah I get it uh- now. Okay, I, I, it's I, funny. It took it's me a funny. while to get the Lenina part, but even when I saw like when I hadn't read the book yet, but I knew about Brave New World when Demolition yeah. Man came out in like ninety one, ninety two. Yeah, well, that's so I got the reference. A lot of the names in that one are pretty funny. Like uh, you remember uh, the name of Benjamin Bratt's character? Oh no, it was it was like Taco Bell something. No, it was know. Alfredo Garcia. <laughs> that's which, which really doesn't have anything to do with that movie. They bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia, but it's kind of funny. Yeah. Cute reference if you're into Sam Peckinpah movies. They should make a Demolition Man television series. I would watch that. Sure. The, Why look, not? Look, everything's a TV series. Right? Have you seen what Paramount Plus is doing? There's a Ugh. Flashdance TV series Is there really out. a Flashdance yeah, TV series? Like, actually, look, you know what? That could work. You know what? Let me look up... Flashdance. Speaking just, of uh, speaking of all of these fly by night uh, streaming services, yeah. let's look at what Paramount Plus is going to do. I will on say this: Flashdance is a series. You're just going to do a series about someone who works two jobs and one of them is is in a strip club. Mm. That's a great story. Let's do that. That that could be totally be a good drama. Let's see, uh, they're reviving yeah. Frasier. Uh, a Wait, lot of whatever. Their, yeah. A lot of their movies, like Paramount movies, are being adapted into TV shows. Yeah. Uh, they're still going to go ahead with like doing every single Star Trek they possibly can. There's going to be like nine. It's their cash cow simultaneously. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised they're not doing a Mission Impossible television series. Yeah, there's going to be a Paw Patrol movie. Uh, right. That's that's that Whatever. was already coming though. Yeah. Uh, doing an, s- an animated Avatar film. Another uh, Beavis and Butthead. Av- Avatar: The Last uh, Airbender, not Avatar. Yeah. Avatar, which is Disney's now. Uh, they're doing a, a Pet Cemetery. Another Pet Cemetery. Whatever. There was a sequel um, before. You can do another yeah. Pet Cemetery. That's fun. I'm uh, fine with that. Another uh, Dora the Explorer live action Flashdance. Good. Another Frasier. Yeah. Another Gre- a Grease TV series. Oh, uh, that's like the prequel, isn't it? Yeah. Where they're going to make it like about the summer before mm-hmm. the thing. There's a prequel Weird. SpongeBob series coming up. They're yeah. doing a. This was the one that was really uh, kind of bizarre. They're doing a TV series based on Love Story. Um, the, do they know how that one ends? What are they going to do? Movie. Follow the follow the follow the sequel that nobody mm. likes. There was a sequel to Love Story, but you know what we're talking about? Love Story stars Ryan O'Neill and Ally McGraw, and it is this like really saccharine love story about like two young people who fell in love and one of them dies. Mm-hmm. That's where love means never having to say you're sorry. And comes uh, from. that is the kind of thing that young people say about love before they're in long-term relationships mm-hmm. and find out that people make serious mistakes sometimes mm-hmm. and have to say I'm sorry. They're, they're bringing back regrets. Uh, they're going to do an Italian job TV series. They're okay. going to gonna do a Parallax View TV series. All right. They're going to do a Man Who Fell to Earth TV series. That feels like <laughs> something we're destined to review on this show. But I'd be yeah. curious. I'd be curious to see if they can pull it off. And weirdly enough, they're bringing back Yo MTV Raps. No, seriously. Okay, that's awesome. The, the, pa- Paramount, that's great. Paramount Plus is just exploding. They're just like, we got everything. Now. I would. I, I will say this: we we scoff sometimes, but I would really love mm. to be working in development at a place like Paramount Plus right now, where it's like, listen, w- what do we got, and what can we do? Like, with it? let's take a list of every single property that we have, mm. and let's see what is a 
well known and popular enough that if we did something about it, people would immediately mm. be interested regardless of what we did with it. And B is maybe less well known, but totally awesome. Mm. Like Parallax View. Like it's not something people talk about all the time now, but it's like it's totally awesome and we can make it a big deal. That's actually really exciting, and I would love to be doing that. I would yeah. love to be doing They that. need to hire us so we can develop the Brain Donors TV series at Paramount Plus, and then the world will be all right. You joke, but that's a good idea. Yeah. I, I would watch it. I'd yeah. write it. There you go. Like, anyway. You can probably get, uh, well, can't get Mel Smith back, but uh, no. you, you could. Uh, Sadly. John Turturro might do it. Why yeah. not? I don't know. Who, the, who do you get is to be the young John Turturro? Or the really, 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 really young Groucho Marx. Oh, gosh. That's the thing. We don't really have those kind of comedians anymore, you know? Oh, they're out there. We just need to audition. Them. I know. Exactly. They're not, like, well-known. Like, I watched uh, the Tom and Jerry movie. I saw that, too. Uh, yeah. yeah. We'll talk about that in Critically Acclaimed in great detail. <laughs> but the I forget who it was. The guy who played the guy who ran the hotel mm. had this total Phil Hartman quality mm. that I forgot I missed. Like, I'm just going to be a slightly broad supporting character. <laughs> That's what I do. I have like two funny lines and I'm really yeah. going to milk them. I'm not going to pretend I'm a real character with a rich inner life. I am here to fill this role in the story and be funny when I'm on screen. And while he wasn't that funny, he was that exact kind of character actor that I kind of missed. And I miss that kind of character actor who just you just fill out a Preston Sturges movie with a bunch of people who are only good at like three things, but they're brilliant at those three things. And they're always asked to do those three things. Brave New World was not canceled too soon. No, no, it definitely was not. No, uh, there was there was some good stuff in here if you really, really want to dig for it. But I think it's over mostly in the first few episodes. Yeah, um, you get to like episode four, and you're kind of you kind of see where we're going here, and they're not really going to mm-hmm. pull the rug out from you. No, the first three episodes are really good. They're fine. Yeah, I liked them. I was mm-hmm. interested. I was intrigued. Uh, and then yeah, and just. Stop being interesting to me, mm. and uh, that's a that's a shame. And it's obviously not what they were going for, and I imagine that's why it got canceled because mm. it's something this expensive. You only keep doing if it's driving people to your site. People were not talking about it. People were not super invested in it. It's clearly an expensive show to make. Yeah, it's not worth the effort, basically. Mm. And we're going to see that even more and more. I think as the streaming uh, saga continues, as theaters remain closed, and who knows. You know, when the pandemic lifts enough that theaters feel safe to people again, whether people will simply not be as eager to go to theaters because they've been so, much, so used to streaming for so long. And we might see more well, stuff on streaming, and as a result, we might see less expensive stuff. I think we're going to see a lot of uh, stuff on streaming that we would ordinarily be looking forward to in theaters. Yeah. Especially when it comes to like adapting known IPs for mm-hmm. for gigantic movies, those are now just series or miniseries. A lot of the time, yeah. Like, we're not going to make another Lord of the Rings movie, but we'll spend just as much money making a TV show. Yeah, and a lot of people say like, "Oh, but how are they going to make their money back?" And you think to yourself, "Here's how it works: You're a movie studio. You make dozens of movies every year, mm-hmm. big movies that are showing up in theaters. And there's about I looked this up like in 2019." About 14% of people like went to the movies more than once a month. Mm. About 86% went like once a year. That's most people. Yeah, what what year was this? Like 2019. 20, okay. So like just before the pandemic. Mm. So people weren't going to movies Pe- all that often going, already. The majority of people only go to the movies a couple of times a year. Mm. And when they do, they're not guaranteed to see something from the same movie studio. You know? So 
you're gambling every time you put something out there and you're gambling on the same small market. And rather than put out 12 movies and hope that one of them makes a billion dollars, you put out enough original content on your streaming service and to keep people interested and giving you slightly less than a ticket price every month that adds up. Yeah. So you can either get like, makes a lot more sense. You get $20 from one person once or twice a month, or you get $12 from them 12 times a month Mm. that adds up. And it means they're going to be able to spend a lot of money on some of these shows, but it also means they'll probably spend a little less on some of the stuff that would have been huge. Mm. You know, they're probably not going to spend $200 million on stuff all that often. It's not going to be a lot, but we're still going to get some big movies. I think we're still going to get some big shows. Um, excuse me. And a lot of them are going to get canceled perhaps too soon. We'll we'll be talking about at least seven eighths of those shows. It's going to be so many. Um, so thank you everybody for listening to Cancel Too Soon. We will be back next week. Yes, next week. All right, we're back. Uh, with uh with an interesting failed pilot. Yeah, fascinating. An an animated series. Yeah, it's an animated series. It's a it's a pilot that a lot of people don't really know existed. Uh, I actually only just discovered the existence of it myself not that long ago. Uh, it is a pilot for Mad Magazine, not Mad TV, the sketch comedy show that was big in the 90s, and I don't remember how long it lasted, but it lasted a while. Mm. Or, um, or the, the animated series that followed. Uh, there were a couple like animated shorts for kids that Mad Magazine also put out. I forgot about that. This was from 1974, and it was an animated sketch comedy show. And it was called the Mad Magazine TV Special because when they finally aired it, it was a one-off. But it was designed to be a pilot. So we're going to be talking about that in the next episode of Cancel Too Soon. I haven't watched it yet. I can't wait to check it out. And give me an excuse to talk about Mad Magazine. Whitney loves Mad Magazine. Mm. I grew up reading it too. It should be a fun uh, trip down memory lane. Uh, So that is it for Cancel Too Soon. Thank you everybody for listening. Thank you everybody, especially our patrons. If you go to patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. If you have the means, you can support the show. You get a lot of exclusive content. As soon as you sign up any tier, we got shows about Batman, Star Trek, Disney, the Academy Awards. Uh, we do commentary tracks, ton of other stuff as well. Um, and uh, without those patrons, we wouldn't be here. So mm-hmm. we're incredibly grateful to you. Thank you so much for everything that you do. Uh, if you want to talk to us about anything we discussed on this episode or anything else you want us to talk about, you write in letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. And we might read your email in an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail. We're also on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Salt Cat Soap. You make soap. <laughs> That's where we have our soap. And uh, we got some really cool soap. Uh, some new uh, some new soap designs are coming out the first Saturday of every month. So we got some cool ones coming this Saturday. Uh, and uh, we still have a ton in the store right now. Exciting designs by M. Lapis da Silva. Uh, I've got some designs I'm going to be dropping this month as well. Um, maybe not right away. We'll see how fast I can put them together, but soon. Uh, so if you go to our Etsy store, Salt Cat Soap, it's at Salt Cat Soap on Instagram and Twitter. That's a wrap. We'll That's see you it. next season. <laughs>